All right. I'm live. Hello. Hello. I don't know who is on here, but we are going live. We have a house full of people. So not more than 10 ish. And we have nine children, so our, just our family is 11 people. So we don't do well at abiding by the uh, recommendations. But I always wear a mask. I have a very transparent mask on, protecting me from exposure to germs. Okay, let's start with prayer, and then we're going to get into a short sermon. All those that are joining us on the live stream here, welcome. This is a new thing for us, so hopefully you can hear me okay. If uh, you can't or if you need to uh, let me know that something's not coming out right, just feel free to shoot a message up on the board. <clears throat> also, what we have here is people are able to make comments. So if you have a question, feel free to ask a question, and I'll try to incorporate an answer to that into the message. So. Technology does enable us to be a little bit more interactive here. So um, we have a live audience. Hopefully nobody throws a tomato at me or banana bread while we uh, while we go through the sermon here. But let's open with a word of prayer. And I want to thank everybody that's joining us here this morning from wherever you may be in the comfort of your home or in uh, fellowshiping with, with uh, some other families around the city or even around the country. So um, we're going to have a sermon this morning on the topic of fear and uh, the biblical exhortation to fear not. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, I want to thank you for being with us here uh, for our Mercy Seat Christian Church Sunday morning service. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this day. We are just, uh, Lord, blessed to be able to be your children and to call you our Lord. And Father, we know that you are the creator of all things. And so we put our trust in you and indeed we look to you uh not in just this time of uh, of crisis and pandemic in our nation but uh at all times father may our hearts trust in you have peace in you father and be encouraged by you and so father I just pray that you would speak this morning through me and through your scriptures and uh, lord i pray you'd encourage the hearts of your saints this morning and i pray this in jesus name amen, amen. Okay, so we are living in the midst of a global pandemic. That's what we're told. And uh, there is certainly no shortage of hysteria going on in the world right now. We are living in, in I would say, unprecedented times in our in our world. And uh, things that I'm seeing and, and that we're all seeing are things that I've not seen in my lifetime. And we have some folks here that are significantly older than me, if I can say that. And... Uh, and uh, have also said that they've not seen some of the things we're seeing happening right now in their lifetime. So unprecedented. Do I think that this means we're living in the end times and we're about to see the return of Christ and the great tribulation? No. Uh, I'm confident that uh, this shall pass. We will get through this. The church of Jesus Christ will continue to, to advance here in the earth, despite what we see going on. And uh, certainly there are, are people plotting and scheming for a, a one world system. So our position, just briefly, I'm not going to get a lot into COVID. The last two sermons we did, uh, Pastor Matt went into uh, more extensively uh, the COVID-19 hysteria 
And so I'll just restate briefly our position on it, given that this is a topic that's on everybody's mind. It's what people have been talking about, it seems, endlessly. So uh, our position is that, yes, there is a real virus going around. Obviously, there is a real virus. There's a, a, this is completely fake or, or fabricated situation. Um, I believe it actually is dangerous for a very uh, small segment of the population. I don't know its origins. We don't know its origins, whether it was man-made or whether it spread through some other means. We don't know. Wouldn't surprise me either way. I know the folks who've been working on uh, on helping to keep the world safe presently. The, many of them, from the World Health Organization, for example, and John Hopkins, the Bloomberg-funded Institute on Health over there, Bill Gates, and others who've had a, a big interest in creating vaccines and in different things in protecting the world from a global pandemic. Um, generally have a worldview that is tremendously hostile to Christianity. They're pro-abortion, radically pro-abortion, uh, radically pro-feminism, pro-LGBT, pro all the, 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 the novel gender theory that is, is popular in our world, becoming popular in our world that I think is, is not only anti-science, but is, is of course, uh, anti-Christ. And so m most of those who are rushing to the defense of the world and who are in positions of power over the decisions that are being made in our world presently are not people who have a biblical worldview. And forgive me if I don't think that Bill Gates really is all that concerned about the the weak and the vulnerable in our world who may be dying, given that Bill Gates has said on many occasions that he thinks that the world population needs to be reduced to about 500 million from its current 7 billion. So um, who knows what's actually going on right now and who is scheming behind the scenes. But uh, certainly we know that it is the nature of governments and it is the nature often of wealthy people to use their wealth, to use their influence and to use their governmental powers <laughs> to to control the lives of others and to increase their power, to increase their wealth, to increase their control over the lives of others. Government is a far greater danger when it's unbridled and unchecked uh, than is any virus. So I'm much more concerned about what my government may be doing presently than, about, than I am about the spread of this virus. Uh, take safety precautions. If you are in a situation where you are, uh, your immune system is compromised, by all means, quarantine yourself, separate yourself, use the kinds of uh, common sense protections that, that you would use in any flu season. So uh, with that being said, I think that the media has, has created a hysteria and has really abused its power, as we've become accustomed to, in the way they have uh, been covering this uh, this event. I was just on the Drudge Report this morning, and I mean the headlines are all just massive hysteria, death toll rising. Where are we gonna Where are we gonna bury all the the bodies? You know, all this sort of thing that is just absolute nonsense. Um, Eight thousand people died in the United States, so um, you know more than that die every single day in this country uh, normally. So. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die in the world every single day. That's that's normal. Um, we're all going to die, right? Whether you know that or not, we're all going to die one day. But, uh, you know, a few things I'll touch on just briefly. is One is the misuse of statistics. There's so many numbers that are being thrown around and people are saying so many things that, that are calculated to create fear, calculated to to get a reaction out of people and uh, – and it, statistics are easily abused and easily misused. Um, you see this across the spectrum in a whole host 
of issues. One example that I like to cite that uh, Thomas Sowell, the economist from Harvard, often cites with regards to the gender pay gap. Many have heard of the gender pay gap, and this was a big thing that was said in the 70s, 80s, and it's still said today. It's taught in universities. Young people are learning this by the millions that they're, that that women make less than men. Do, women of the same age doing the same job make less money than men do, and this is because of systemic sexism that exists where women are oppressed and men just don't like women and hold them down, and that's why we don't have a quarterback in the NFL who's a woman is because – you know, men are just oppressive of women and women have just been, uh, you know, culturally uh, beaten down and conditioned to be subservient to men. And so uh, I would say this is absolute nonsense. Not that there hasn't been, you know, abuse of women throughout history. Certainly there has been. Uh, but Thomas Sowell looked at the numbers and the statistic that was often cited was that females, single male, single female in the same occupation, the female will make less money. And so feminists ran with that. Sol did the analysis, and he added the distinction of not just single, but never married. He drew a distinction between folks who are single and folks who are never married, because there's lots of single people in the workforce who actually were married and divorced. And Sol recognized there are many women who had spent maybe 20 years of their life or 10 years of their life not working, having children, and had gone back later in life and were now single in the workforce. And so they were oftentimes comparing a man who was 40, who had worked 20 straight years in the workforce, with a woman who was 40 and single, and yet maybe had only worked four or five years consecutively in that field. And so when he did the statistical analysis and looked at, looked at never married, people who have been working for the same amount of time in the same field, actually women were making more than men, if you can believe that. Completely turned their statistics upside down, their conclusions rather upside down. Their poor statistical analysis. So people use statistics in very poor ways all the time and in misguided ways. And sometimes this is done just out of sheer ignorance where you have people doing the research who just uh, make mistakes. Um, and sometimes they're just not good at what they're doing or they just, you know, there's there's things that are oversights. Sometimes it's done with <coughs> intent to intentionally deceive, to, to take uh, statistics and actually twist them. And the media has been doing this with this COVID-19 thing. And, and off the charts, the, the, the kind of misuse of statistics and the kind of misuse of data to create fear and to and to create a sense of, uh, 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 you know, to, to create a false reality, essentially, in people's minds has been been horrific. And so we could go through many examples of that. And if you watch Pastor Matt's last two messages, he goes through some of that uh, very well. One simple example of that I would cite that I was reading this week from several doctors in Italy is the way that the supposed death rate in Italy, which Italy is the country that is where all the hysteria and craze has been. So many people dying in Italy and there are people dying in Italy. But this, this, the, the, the thing that has been coming out is this idea of comorbidity, that there are people who have pre-existing illnesses already sick, already dying. Okay, They are already dying and they exhibit maybe just prior to their death certain symptoms of COVID-19, a cough. Uh, you know, a respiratory infection. And so they get oftentimes labeled as being positive for COVID-19 based merely on an, an outward examination of symptoms. And then they die and they said that they will get, it'll be said that the cause of death was COVID-19, the coronavirus. And so you have, uh, a, I think it's 99 or 99 point something percent of all these deaths in Italy, every single, you know, case, 99 something percent of them was where there was a pre-existing serious illness, many times multiple pre-existing illnesses. So 
um, how many people have actually died exclusively from the coronavirus? Well, we don't know, right? Because the, the statistics are all being terribly skewed. So, again, people are being being uh, said to have the virus and have died from the virus when when the only test that was done was an examination of symptoms. So um, it's come out this week also that there are states and city leaders who are intentionally exaggerating their numbers, exaggerating the severity of cases to get more federal money. Right. That's this has been happening with local and state governments. Right. Uh, for generations. You know, the gravy train of the federal government. We have a crisis. They do this with education, labeling, particularly young boys with all these, uh, you know, conditions so they can get more funding for their schools. Right. This has been happening. Bureaucrats have been doing this at state and local <laughs> levels uh, for generations. And it's happening now. States are realizing that they can get a whole lot of money if they get a sudden spike in Corona cases. And so there's an it, this incentivizes, again, misleading the public and creating uh, hysteria, creating fear and labeling people as having the coronavirus when maybe in fact they actually don't have the coronavirus or maybe the, the the fear of the coronavirus is not what they think it is so this is some of the the just the 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 bizarre nonsense that's going around and, and anybody who watches the mainstream media and believes what you see in the mainstream media i'm telling you, you are being deceived massively deceived denzel washington said it very very poignantly uh recently he said that if you don't watch the news you're uninformed if you do watch the news, you're misinformed. And uh, that's what we have in our country. So I would I would encourage you. There's an app that I use on my phone called World Newspapers. That's it. World Newspapers. I would encourage you to get that app and you can literally access news media outlets from around the world. You can pick the country, hundreds of countries. You know, you can pick the country and you can uh, pick, a, you know, have dozens of news outlets from those countries. Now, of course, we know that there's these massive media conglomerates that own news outlets all over the world. So you got to get past, you know, a, a company that is owned by, you know, might be in Iran or might be in, in, you know, South Africa, but it might be owned by the same media conglomerates that control the American media. But uh, so, but, but you can get access to media, independent media, <coughs> legitimately independent media and see what is being reported and what journalists are saying literally around the world. And uh, I would encourage you to get that and look at that. I don't care if CNN told me the sun's going to come tomorrow. I would be skeptical. <laughs> so um, with all that being said, where I want to focus in on in our sermon this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter number one. 2 Timothy chapter number one. I want to talk about fear because what is being used by the media, what is being used by our government, what is... Um, what we're seeing from just common citizens all around us is an irrational fear. And fear is something that plagues the lives of many people. Fear is something that can be absolutely uh, paralyzing. It can be absolutely debilitating. And there are many in our world, independently of whether there's a pandemic virus going on or not, who are living in and controlled by fear. And this is not godly. This is not of the Lord. And so let's look at Paul's exhortation to his young disciple Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Down in verse 7, well, we'll read verse 6, the prior verse. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Speaking of the gifts of God that are in Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Power, love, and a sound mind is what God has given us. And that's a part of the giftings that God has imparted to each one of us. We are all are that are Christians that have surrendered our, our lives to Jesus. God has taken our lives, has cleansed our souls, cleansed us of our sins, and we are united to God. Think about that, that we are united to God in spirit. God's spirit dwells within us. Why then would we fear? What are we afraid of? If the creator of the entire universe who controls the sun, the moon, and the stars in his hands, if our life is in his hands, what are you afraid of? What is it that's bothering you right now? What is it that you are so worried and perplexed about? I would say today that God wants to encourage us. He wants to encourage us. And as we read through scripture, you can go from Abraham to Moses to David, looking through the characters of the Old Testament on into the New Testament and see the disciples as they begin to bring the gospel around the world. You see them being in need of encouragement because they had gotten discouraged. They had gotten full of fear. They had gotten in situations where they were out of control of the situation, where bad things were happening to them, where there was persecution. There were people trying to literally kill them. There was disease and famine and sickness and plagues and judgments and persecution and tyranny and oppression. All these things we see all throughout the Bible. And how do God's people respond? Oftentimes we see them giving into fear and we see them being encouraged by God, encouraged by other people of God to be encouraged, to be emboldened, to strike fear from your heart. And so I want to ask you today, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of today? What is influencing you, affecting you, weighing upon you, perhaps even controlling you with regards to fear this morning? We live in a culture of fear. Fear is constantly sensationalized in the media. Constantly, constant negativity we see in the media, not just with this coronavirus presently, but you, you go back through the last years of history in, in our nation and just di dissect and analyze media coverage. And you will find an obsession with negativity, an obsession with sensationalized stories that are all calculated to motivate people through fear. There was a robbery. There was an accident. A child was abducted. A cat was stuck in a tree. You know, there's always this, this constant barrage of things that you need to be afraid. You need to be afraid. A woman was mugged at the grocery store yesterday in Kentucky. Do you know that? Do you know that that happened? And so I tell people, and I have to constantly tell my family, do not read the headlines. It is nonsense. It is insanity. It is, it is kookiness, and it will create irrational fear in you. Oh my gosh, I'm at the grocery store. Is somebody going to grab my kids? Is somebody going to grab my wallet? Is somebody going to grab my dog? Is somebody going to flatten my tires? I mean, constant fear. And there's people who literally live this way. We live in the, the you know, in terms of uh, safety and in terms of wealth and in terms of material possessions and technological advancement and medicine and health. We live in the greatest time the world has ever seen. I mean, has there ever? I mean, look, look at a time in history. Has there ever been a time in history where you have more access to medical treatments? We have more access to technology. We have more access to transportation and communication. We have more access to safety, and yet people live in absolute fear. What are you afraid of? I want to say this: fear is a choice. 
Fear is a choice. You choose to embrace fear. You choose to allow fear to go inside of you, to go down deep into you and to grow inside of you and to overtake you. If you've ever seen the film Apocalypto, there's a great scene in the movie Apocalypto, one of my favorite films where the father is speaking to his son and they just were out hunting on a, in a hunting party. And this is, this is a tribal, uh, uh, takes place in the 1700s, 1600s. It's supposed to be the Mayan empire. And, uh, and uh, they had just come across another village that had been raided by, you know, it's not really clear whether Mel Gibson had the aspects of the Mayans in mind. But anyway, uh, they're raided and they were, um, you know, it was raped, the village was raped and pillaged and the survivors are walking through the woods and they see them. And this, the son, who's a young man, who's the father is training to be a warrior. He's, he's clearly shaken by this. And the father sees him later in the village and stops him and says, to him, son, what did you see in those people today? And the son just looks at him and he says, a deep and rotting fear. And he tells him, fear is a sickness. It will crawl into the soul of anyone who engages in it. And he, he, and he tells him, it has already tainted your peace. And he tells him, uh, I didn't raise you to live in fear. And you need to strike fear from your heart and do not engage in it. And so powerful scene. And that becomes a theme of the movie as their village is eventually raided. And the, the young son survives and he has to escape and he's being chased and pursued by a band of warriors trying to kill him. And he realizes he has a turning point. I'm giving away some of the film if you haven't seen it, but he has this turning point in the film where he realizes he's been running in fear through through much of the film. And he has this revelation that I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid. I've hunted these woods. I was raised to be a warrior and I can fight back. I don't have to be afraid. And, and there's this turning point and he goes from the defensive onto the offensive. And it's a, it's a powerful film, a good movie. It's exciting. Anyway, not a children's film, but uh, the film Apocalypto. Mel Gibson is the creator of it. And he obviously wrote that dialogue into the film. And it's, and it's a powerful theme of the film to not allow fear in your heart, to not let fear drive your decision making, but do the opposite. Recognize that you need to take control over your fears. You need to exercise your will and to choose to not let fear bind you and control you because it can very easily do that in ways that you don't even realize and you develop habits of thinking that are controlled by fear and your character becomes that of a very fearful person and neurotic behaviors develop and we live in a culture of tremendous neurosis where we have mental health conditions uh, that are off the charts and people are, are living in, in, in paralyzing fear Decision-making is driven by irrational fear. And look at some of the reasons for this in our culture, some of the mitigating factors and why we are afraid and where fear and anxiety come from in our culture today and what the biblical solutions to that are. So two things that are the antidotes to fear. One is a genuine love for others. And two is a genuine and deep trust in God. Those two things. If you're being controlled by fear, one of two things is not happening and probably both is not happening. You're not deeply trusting in God in this particular area of your life. And you are not walking in the perfect kind of love that God commands us to walk in. Because the Bible says that love casts out fear. First John 418. Write that verse down. Fantastic verse. First John 418. I'm going to read it. And this is a, a, a life-changing verse. should be a life-changing verse for you if you're a person who's bound by fear. 
John says this. He says, uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Understand that. If you are being overridden by fear, love is not central in your heart in guiding you. Love is the central ethic of the Christian life. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The whole, All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments, to love God and love your neighbors. That is the central foundation of the Christian life is love, the kind of love that Jesus displayed on the cross. It was that kind of love that compelled him, motivated him to be horribly abused and persecuted, to have his beard plucked out, a crown of thorns stuck on his head, to be whipped, beaten, and scourged, and to carry his cross. To carry his cross, knowing full well what was in store for him, he walked that path. And God has a path for us to walk. You know that. God has put us in this life, and we have a path to walk. And that walk entails hardship. That that walk entails persecution. That walk entails suffering. If you think that you are not going to suffer, that you are not going to experience pain, then you don't understand the life that God has put you in. The Christian life and life period is one that entails necessarily suffering and hardship. You choose now to embrace it or you choose to run from it and you will be running from the path that God has for you. Jesus carried his cross and he gives us a cross and we have to carry that cross. And it is love that must motivate us. It was love that motivated Jesus. And so the question is, if you are afraid of the suffering that is in front of you, if you're afraid of the hardship that is in front of you, if you are afraid of what you might be experiencing, ask yourself, is am I concerned more about myself or am I concerned more about others here? What's my motivation? Am I driven by a love for others, a concern about others, or am I have I become fixated on myself? People become bound by fear when they become fixated on themselves. And we are a self-absorbed culture, a self-absorbed society. The more self-absorbed you become, the more fearful and neurotic you will become. And so the way to drive out fear is, the Bible says, is to understand this perfect kind of love. Now notice uh, John says here, uh, perfect love casts out fear. There are different kinds of love, right? And, And we talk about love in our culture all the time. The Beatles had a song, love is all you need, right? And that love would conquer the world. That was the cry of the 60s, the flower power age, that love was going to conquer the world, peace, love, and all this sort of thing. Uh, we see we hear about love in the music world all the time. Songs motivated and inspired by love. There is uh, the musical artist Amy Winehouse, who was a famous pop artist, one of the, the revolving door of pop artists that are propped up in our culture for young people to feed on. And she had a song, Love is a Losing Game. And she committed suicide. And for her, it was because she didn't have the kind of perfect love that the Bible speaks of. The kind of love the Bible speaks of is a selfless, sacrificial Love. And of course, her conception of love, as many people's conception of love, is either romantic, superficial, emotional, self serving, lustful. Oh, I love this person. I just love this person so much. I just want to love this person forever. I fell into love with this person. Uh, That's not the kind of love the Bible speaks of. That's not the virtuous type of love. There is a kind of romantic love that is good and wholesome. And the whole Song of Solomon in the Bible is about that. (laughs) But the kind of love we're speaking of here is is this perfect love that is sacrificial, that gives of itself, that lays its life down for others. 
And so I'll tell you from my own personal experiences about this is I, I was a fearful young man. Speaking publicly was something I was always terrified to do. I could make jokes. I could be the class clown. I could be a goofball. I still can be that way. But to be serious and have to speak seriously, uh, I was horrified. And so when I became a Christian, I remember being in church and being terrified. I'd be called on to pray publicly. That was just absolutely horrific to me. And I'd just sit there and I'd be praying that <laughs> I wouldn't get called on to pray, you know. And uh, and then, you know, when I would be asked to speak publicly, it would just be a very terrifying experience. And so what was a decisive moment for me was actually going out and doing evangelism. I had a passion in a heart to do evangelism, to reach the lost with the gospel message. And I was at a, a, a uh, event where there was lots of young people and I just lifted up my voice and started preaching to them. And my, all my fears of public speaking were overcame by this concern that I had for them. I wasn't thinking about myself, right? I was thinking about them. And that's the key to public speaking, right? It's the key to you learning how to overcome your fear of, of, of embarrassment or ridicule or your fear of, of not being able to speak publicly. It's, well, stop thinking about you. It doesn't, you don't matter. Who cares what they think about you? Right. Who cares whether your hair is made or whether you're articulating yourself exactly perfectly or this or that, or whether you have all the understanding of, of everything perfectly. Are you concerned about others? And do you have something to say to them and say it right? Because it's about them. It's about what they need to hear. It's about what you have to offer. It's about what God has given you to impart to others. And that kind of love will motivate you. It will strike fear out of your heart so you can speak boldly. So you can speak courageously. So you can act boldly and act courageously. Right. And that's the kind of love that the Bible is speaking of here. So a love, a genuine love for others is a key to overcoming fear. Get off of yourself and being self-absorbed. Now, do you have to take precautions? Yes, of course. Um, do you have to you know, exercise safety? Yes. I don't just walk out blindly into an interstate and you know, walk in front of vehicles. Um, I have guns. We have locks on our doors. Uh, we we practice good stewardship. We have to be thoughtful about good stewardship and, and protecting ourselves and protecting our families. But that's that's something that we make uh, calm, rational decisions about, right? We, we say, what is the proper rational course of action here? What is, you know, I don't stockpile guns by my front door and have shotguns that come down in swings because I'm at any minute, minute I hear a noise in the backyard and I think somebody's breaking into my house, right? I don't put 85 safety buckles on my children when they're in the vehicle. You know, I don't lock them up in a padded suit and they ride at their bikes, um, you know, but we do practice a certain level of safety, right? And that's going to vary from person to person. But the, the point is that you have thoughtfully reflected on what is the right uh, amount of safety protocol in a given situation. <laughs> and you're making a calm, calculated decision where you're, you're, you're assessing things, not out of any rational, no fear and an emotional hysteria, but where you can actually calmly, reflectively think about what's happening and make a proper decision, right? And that's what uh, needs to be done. And so trusting in God is the same way. As we trust in God, it doesn't mean that I just, well, hey, you know, I trust in God, so therefore I didn't get out of bed this morning because I'm just trusting in God to provide for my family. And I have just so much trust in God that I don't feel like I need to even get out of bed and work this morning. Uh, no, I get out of bed even when I don't feel like it, and I work. And if I don't do that, uh, my family's not going to be provided for. So trust in God is connected to, just as true, genuine love is connected to proper action. I can't say that I love you and I don't take proper action on your behalf. Love is an action. And faith and trust in God is also manifested in proper action. If I actually do have trust in God, that's going to manifest itself in me taking proper action that reflects that I understand my responsibilities before God. I understand my responsibilities to my fellow man. And I have 
courage, wisdom, and, and, and apply godly principle to those situations and scenarios that surround me, to the relationships that surround me. And I act to the best of my ability accordingly, right? And so trust in God and love for others is what drives fear out. Um, but it is always tied to concrete action. Amen. All right. I wanted to say a few things and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up here. I want to keep this short. Um, why do we have so much anxiety and stress and even mental health issues in America? And I want to just talk a little bit about this and close on this and give my own sort of personal testimony in this area and hopefully that, that encourages you. Um, the number of Americans, the percentage of Americans that are being treated for mental health issues is the highest it's ever been, and it is rapidly increasing. It's uh, upwards of half the country now suffers from some sort of mental health issue or have suffered at some time in their life from a mental health issue, and that number is going to be well over 50% here soon, where, where the majority of Americans are going to have had some type of mental health issue in their lifetime. And, uh, and a large percentage that are presently struggling with mental health issues related to anxiety, related to stress, related to, uh, you know, something that involves a fearfulness and also, you know, a mental, a mental illness, sometimes outright mental imbalance in the brain. So why is this happening? Why this dramatic increase in these things? I think there's a few things that I think are just kind of basic common sense stuff and then some other things that maybe go a little deeper than that. Um, I'll give you a handful of reasons why I think this is. And I'll tell you that I, um, when I became a Christian, like God, I mean, just drove fear out of my life. And also just, just gave me an unbelievable peace and joy and happiness. My early Christian life, I mean, I, 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 you couldn't get me upset hardly. I mean, was, I, I just didn't, I rarely got upset. Why would I get upset? I, mean, I was saved. I was, my sins were forgiven. My life was in God's hands. It's like, why would I be upset? What could you possibly say to me that's going to make me upset? Like, I know God. I mean, like, why would I possibly get upset at you and what you're saying to me? I literally know God. Like, why would I be upset at you? You, you know, and, and your petty, petty stuff, right? So, uh, but as I, uh, you know, as life goes on and I got into my 30s, I, I began to um, have basically uh, adrenal fatigue and I began to suffer from, from massive stress and anxiety type issues. And I'd have these weird bouts of fearfulness where I would just suddenly be almost terrified. And I'd have no idea why I didn't. I, it, would, it would just spark. It was like somebody turned my adrenaline on in my fight or fight or flight reflex. And I couldn't turn it off. And I could just be doing the most random thing. And suddenly out of the blue, I would feel like I'm about to just be in a total panic and about to freak out and either start attacking somebody or start running or something. And, 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 and then all of a sudden it would just shut off and it, it would be very strange. And so I went through that for several years, knowing what was wrong with me. I did a lot of drugs as a teenager. I thought maybe this is all the drugs I did that are manifesting now. I, I've done construction my whole life, worked with a lot of chemicals in flooring. thought maybe this is something neurological that I've damaged myself with all the chemicals. Then, of course, you start thinking paranoid. Maybe somebody's you know, slipping something into my drinks or something, you know, got all the, you know, we, we're very outspoken politically. And there's people that hate our guts and would like to see us dead. And I've made that abundantly clear. So I need to start thinking maybe somebody's doing something to us. Um, and then, of course, is it demonic? Am I being demonically attacked? Is this a demonic attack? <coughs> and so I did a lot of investigation on this. And, and thankfully, God has brought me to a place, given me some wisdom with a nutritionist and realized that I just simply had adrenal fatigue. I was under stress, was not realizing the amount of stress I was under, was not managing stress properly and had blown out my adrenal glands, basically. And that was manifesting in these types of ways. And I had to get on some nutritional supplements 
start managing stress better and start uh, giving my body what it needed nutritionally to be healthy, to function at a high level, because I have a lot of stress in my life. I run a business. I have nine children, you know, and so um, all these things started to accumulate. When I was a young single guy, like, man, I'm stress free. I can do anything. So while I was a young single guy, <laughs> I didn't have as much responsibility. And as responsibilities accumulate in your life, uh, that brings with it a certain level of stress. You have a lot to manage and you have to learn how to manage that well or otherwise you can find yourself in a real bad place without even knowing it. So I'm going to give you a handful of things that are tied into this a little bit. One is uh, poor diet and garbage food. We live in a culture that is, as we've, we've become more secular, we've grown away from God and the natural systems that God has put in place and a holistic understanding of a world created by God. And uh, we, we've, we've grown into the plastic age. Our food is plastic. Our relationships are plastic. Everything is plastic around us. Superficial, fake, and designed to be used and abused and thrown out. And so uh, we have tremendously poor diets. We eat garbage food. I was at the grocery store, you know, for the first time after this coronavirus outbreak. Two weeks ago, I went in the grocery store. My wife does most of the shopping, but I went in. The, I was in the grocery store and I, and I was looking at the food shortages. You know, and the, the toilet paper aisles empty and all this. And I said, "Well, let me see what people are eating." I saw these big spots in different aisles where it just completely cleared out. And it's like, well, it's, it, you know, all the vitamins and stuff are still there. You know, like all the organic food is still there. A lot of the vegetables and fruit are all still there. Like, what are people eating? And so I look and it's like the Raymond noodle section is all gone at Meyer, right? The, the whole Raymond noodle section had been cleared out. Like, that's your that's your survival thing. You think you're going to live on Raymond noodles, you know, like zero nutritional content, you know. And then I go over and another big section is cleared out in the freezer. It's all the frozen pizzas. I mean, literally all the frozen pizzas have been taken. And so like, you, like you're going to prep yourself for like some type of apocalyptic scenario, eating frozen pizzas and ramen noodles. That's what you're going to live on. You know, you're going to have some serious problems on your hands. Right. Don't get fruit and vegetables. Don't get, you know, uh, so but, but that's indicative of the American diet. Right. That's indicative of what we eat as Americans. We eat garbage. And so mental health issues should be expected. A breakdown of the body and all kinds of health issues should be expected. Uh, number two, we live in a culture that is filled with luxury and comfort. Like I said, we live in the most comfortable age that's ever existed. I can adjust the temperature right to the very degree, not just in my house, not just in my bedroom, in my vehicle. I can drive around and set the temperature and the guy in the passenger seat can set his temperature to what he wants it to be at. I mean, we live in the most pampered generation. And you know what that does? That creates emotional weakness. It creates emotional weakness. It's, per, it's, it's hardship that strengthens us. Right? Going through hardship, it strengthens us to go through more hardship. The old saying, a smooth sea never produced a skillful sailor. And so we are living in a time where we've grown up with smooth seas relative to the rest of humanity. And we are not fit to deal with emotional hardship. And so when emotional hardship comes our way, we have absolute meltdowns and breakdowns. Okay. So, so uh, we have to take note of that and we have to challenge ourselves in ways. We have to discipline ourselves in ways. We have to man up to the challenges of, uh, and strengthen ourselves emotionally. And, and that's something you have to be proactive in doing, because again, if you're just sitting around filling yourself with the latest conveniences and comforts, you're going to be weak. Tom, don't you, uh, what do you, you do like do like self-desecration or some kind of rituals that you do right to keep yourself strong and balanced? But um, 
So what's tied closely to that is a lack of physical exercise. Right. Many of us sit and uh, sit and have offices or jobs that are not very physically demanding. I'm thankful for the, the construction work that I do. And I notice a huge difference when I'm working construction versus when I'm focused doing a lot of ministry work that's not nearly as physical. It affects my body. It affects my entire mental disposition. We were created and designed for physical exertion. And that go, that carries from young age to old age. We need to be active. We need to be active and getting exercise. Uh, what's tied to that, of course, is the overstimulation and oversaturation with vis- visual electronics and devices, TV, staring at screens, not good for the mind. Uh, we also have tied into that as the modern medicines, vaccinations and pharmaceuticals, many, many negative side effects, many negative health effects in our culture tied to vaccinations and pharmaceuticals. We also have a, a stress-filled, fast-paced life. In Scripture, of course, there was the Sabbath for the Old Testament. There was the, 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 the seasons of Jubilee. There was the, the, the feasts that the Israelites would have. And for most of human history, there was uh, an, we were an agrarian society. Most societies were agrarian. They farmed. And when you farm, there is seasons to life. You have, a, you have to, to work very hard up to the harvest season. You harvest. And after harvest, well, there's downtime. There's a season of downtime and reflection and family and enjoyment. We don't get that. We have modernized everything so that we can have uh, the temperature exactly the way we want it. We can have the lights when we want them. And so we work around the clock. We work around the clock. 365 days a year, we have a work cycle that does not relent. And uh, that upsets the natural rhythms of the created order that we've seen through the, most of human history with farming and agriculture. And so it's good to get rest. It's good to take time off from work, long times off, not just a day. But there's times where you need to take vacation. You need to get long periods of rest and refreshment to cultivate healthy relationships with people around you. And this is seen in scripture. It's a biblical thing. And so that's the last point I would say on this. It is, I think, a huge reason why there is the mental health disorders, fear, anxiety, stress, is that we are seeing a we are a culture of shallow relationships, broken relationships with the family unit is broken down. It's the expectation that parents ship their kids off to be educated by somebody else. So they spend the bulk of their time with another person. And then when they come home, we're, we can't wait till they turn 18 to get them out of the house, get them off to college, and they go get a job on the other side of the country. And that is so normal for the average American family. The expectation of a family working together, cultivating business, developing and working in a community together as a family, as extended family, is almost gone from American society. And that is the mentality that built American society, not a dependence on government, not a dependence on the state to build our roads and protect us and to build our infrastructure, but individual families working together collectively in a private manner, coordinating our efforts and building our infrastructure. That's how this country was settled and developed in many ways. And so that the, the family unit is breaking down in America. The family unit has broken down. And uh, we, are, we live in our little, little boxes. We live in our little box. We put on a little box. I'm in fifth grade and then I'm in sixth grade and I'm with all the sixth graders. Then I'm in seventh grade, I'm with all the seventh graders. And I learn seventh grade math and I learn seventh grade English. and I learn seventh grade science and I don't get my mind out of that little box. And that's my little relationship world. And that's the world. We, and, and then I go off to college and I have to go to college to be successful. And I do this and I go work for some big corporation where I'm a cog in the corporate machinery. And that's that's the American world. That's the American system. And it's been designed through a lot of social engineering to be that way. And that's the antithesis of the biblical family and the biblical family unit where the family is the center of the economy. 
And that strengthens relationships. And those kind of strong, deep-rooted relationships are part of our mental health. It's our support structure, right? And that's what the church is supposed to be. But, of course, we see the church has taken on the same superficial characteristics where people jump from church to church to church in a very superficial and flippant manner. Uh, church discipline is not practiced and exercised. Uh, churches don't really, you know, it's, everything is, is, a, is a shallow, cheap little church program. There's not re- the real cultivation of deep-rooted community. You drive through Milwaukee, downtown Milwaukee, and you're on the interstate, you just see all these massive church steeples, dozens of them. These little communities were built by people who built churches to be a, a symbol of what was central in their community, the beacons of light, the cities on a hill. And that was stating their values, right? The cross that was on the building, symbolizing the, the central foundation of our value system, that the cross was what our what the, the, the symbolic love of that and who Jesus is was central to how we were building our family life, governing our family life, governing our economy, governing our, our politics, it all centered around Christ and the picture of the church and what it was supposed to be. And that grounded us in healthy, deep relationships that helped us get through crises, suffering, hardship, adversity. So uh, I hope that this time as we're as we're seeing the coronavirus and all this stuff going, I pray that God is using it for good. I think it's good that people are slowing down a little bit. It's good maybe that some people are slowing down and staying home. It's good that People are spending time with their children to degrees which many have never spent this amount of time with their children. It's good that people are assessing their priorities, rethinking their priorities right now. So there are some good things that I think God is bringing upon our culture right now uh, with this virus. Don't let yourself be governed by fear. Let this be a time that God brings about growth in your life, even as you're aware of what's going on with governmental abuse and that sort of thing. Um, Let this be a time that God uses for good in your life. Amen. Let this be a time to strengthen relationships in your life, to strengthen what really matters and to think about how you're governing and building your life in your family life and uh, and, and reach out to the people close to you and let them know how much they mean to you. Reach out to the people that are close to you and fortify and strengthen those relationships. Uh, This is a good time for that. It's good that we're meeting in each other's homes. And uh, and I hope that, uh, that that will continue on, that we will be in each other's homes and uh, and developing these kinds of relationships. So, amen. God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Recognize the power of God that dwells in you and do not be afraid. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us. Bless, Father, your people, God. I pray your church would rise up at this time to be a mighty beacon of light in our world, to stand against not only uh, the tyranny and corruption of governments that we see around us, but also to be an example of what it truly means to be a people who care for the vulnerable and the weak, who stand uh, in the stead, Lord, of those who are being persecuted and oppressed, and that, God, you'd use us to be a voice for the voiceless in our in our world. And fill us with courage, Father, I pray. <laughs> Strengthen us, those that are bound by anxieties and worries and fears. I pray that cast their cares upon you right now, knowing that you care for us. God, may we walk in your power and walk in your strength, break down bad thinking habits, and to help us to, to retrain our mind, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and a love for you and a love for others, I pray. And increase our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Excellent. Mm-hmm.